We're just up about the end of our study on Second Samuel, First and Second Samuel. So let me invite you to turn your Bibles there to Second Samuel 22. Second Samuel 22. The history and success of David is not really about David. It's about God and His powerful deliverance and His merciful care for His people. The author of Samuel is wrapping up the story of how God established the earthly kingdom of Saul, caused that to fall, and then established the eternal kingdom of David. And here in chapter 22, we have the author choosing one of David's psalms and using it as an explanation of how we could describe all of David's life. And that is that God is the powerful deliverer, and he is merciful to those who follow him. And let me just remind you about the structure of these last four chapters of Second Samuel. Again, this graphic is uh, really tiny writing, but these final four chapters uh, have at the beginning and the end uh, two sections on first Saul's sin of killing the Gibeonites and how that sin was atoned for. We looked at that last week in chapter 21. And then it ends in chapter 24 with David's sin of taking a census and how that sin was atoned for. And it reminds us that we live in a sin-cursed world and that there are real consequences for our sin. Then the second and fifth sections, uh, we looked at the second section last week along with the first section. The second section has to do with David's weakness and how he had to depend on these mighty men. And these, also the fifth section does the same thing in, in chapter 23. And these two sections remind us that even we who trust in God are not independent of other humans, but rather that we must rely on other people for strength. That's David. He was not, he was not a he-man or, or some kind of a, um, a comic book hero where he could just do everything on his own. He relied on the help of other people. He was a weak human who needed help and, and that's I think what those two sections are about. So the fact that there is sin has to be atoned for and then we are weak and we need the help of others and then these center two sections, chapter 22 and the beginning of chapter 23 are really David's last words. And uh, the, these words here in chapter 22 are just a reflection probably on all of David's life. And then the beginning of chapter 23 are some of the last words that he said in life as he looks back on what God had done. And so these sections point us to the fact that God is gracious and that God remembers His covenant promises and that, God ex- and that uh, we ought to express hope for um, God and His promise of a future king. So here what we have the author doing is he gives us one of, Psalm, one of the Psalms of David that had already been written, and he brings it into the text of his writing, the author Samuel does, bring it in to kind of bring everything together, everything that we've seen from 1 Samuel all the way through 2 Samuel, bring it all together to show us of what a gracious and, and good God that we have who delivers and protects David throughout his life. That David was delivered from Saul and from all his enemies, like we'll see in verse 1. And so it's as if David is looking back on his life and recalling what God has done, how God has been good to him over and over again. And David's response as he reflects back on God's goodness is one of amazement. One of amazement and thanksgiving and praise. And that ought to be our 
response as well. So let me read the first 20 verses for us tonight, and then we'll look at the entire chapter. 2 Samuel chapter 22, beginning verse 1. This is the word of God. And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in, in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you saved me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. For the ways of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me, the cords of Sheol surrounded me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord. Yes, I cried to my God, and from his temple he heard my voice. And my cry for help came into his ears. Then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of heaven were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils. Fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. And he rode on a cherub and flew and he appeared on the wings of the wind and he made darkness canopies around him, a mass of waters, thick clouds of the sky. From the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea appeared. The foundations of the world were laid bare. By the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils, he sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They, they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me forth into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. David here, I think this takes place. I'm going to, to uh, say in verse 1 here in just a second that, that this takes place probably not at one time, but as he looks back on all of his life and all of the deliverances that God had made. And he writes this psalm probably at the, towards the end of his life. And what he wants us to see, wants us to join with him in, is praising God for his deliverance and protection. That believers, because God is a powerful Savior, we ought to praise him for his deliverance and protection. In this, in this chapter, we see the opening praise to the Lord in verses 1 through 4. And then he tells why he praises God. Because God worked for me. You see that in verses 5-19. through 19. And then there's a center section that talks about praising God because He is David's refuge in verses 21-31. through 31. And then the fourth section is about uh, praising God because the Lord has worked through David. And then finally he concludes with praise to the Lord, His refuge. So he begins with praise to the Lord, my refuge, because He's worked through me. Second section. Praise to the Lord, my refuge, because he's worked through me, praise the Lord, my refuge. So you're going to see three sections that are really just saying pretty much the same thing in just different ways. Keep in mind that what we're looking at here is poetry. So these are um, using some flowery words to express some truth. And, uh, and, and there's much good truth in this passage for us. So let's begin with this beginning center, this, begin this beginning um, section of praise 
His opening praise to the Lord, our refuge in verses 1-4. through David is reflecting on what God has done and probably says here, in the day that the Lord... Remember, the word day doesn't always have to mean one individual 24-hour period. It can also mean uh, a long period of time, like in the day of the Lord. Well, that's not talking about as a future time in which God will come and judge all who, who oppose Him and also bring blessing to those who follow Him. The day of the Lord is actually talking about the end times. And so it's not talking about one individual 24-hour period, the same way David is using it here. He's not using it for one 24-hour period where he delivered me from Saul and my enemies. No, he's saying in my life, God delivered me in a powerful way. And, and, um, and the reason that uh, most scholars believe that is because of the nature of the events that are taking place here do not match up specifically with one event where he was running from Saul. Instead, there's a number of clues that show that these are from multiple battles. Notice that David loves the Lord because he is his rock, verse 2. He is his fortress, verse 2. His deliverer, verse 2. His God, his rock, his refuge, shield, horn, stronghold, verse 3. His Savior. All these words have to do with safety and protection. What David's saying is, when I was in deep trouble, I had a God who could be my refuge, my protection, my deliverer. Notice what happens in verse 4 when David calls out to God. When I called upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, I am saved from my enemies. So David says, when I called to God, God was there like a loving father. When we ask Him for help, my father doesn't want to do damage to me. He doesn't want to do harm to me. He wants to do good for me. Like a loving father, He comes to my aid when I ask Him for help. And that's the way God is. And so David's response is going to be one of praise, which is why verses 2 and 3 are, this is the Lord, my rock, my refuge, my stronghold, my deliverer, my God, my Savior. David's praising God because when he called out for help, God was there. Second section, verses 5 through 19, is that David praises God because the Lord has worked for us. We ought to praise God because the Lord has worked for us. That God has delivered us from the brink of death. Verses 5-7. through Notice the extent of David's, David's trouble, his distress. This is not a trial about you know, a really bad hangnail or you know, his Wi-Fi service was really intermittent for a whole week. David was facing a real trial. Death was looming over his head every day. He uses a metaphor to describe that the, the, the danger of his position, right? It's, it's as if the, the cords are, of death are wrapped around me. And, and I'm being overwhelmed. Even worse than that, it's almost like I have those cords wrapped around me while I'm in the water. The waves are crashing in over me. And there is nothing that he could do to save himself. So violent death was imminent. And so what did David do? Look at verse 7. In my distress I called upon the Lord. Yes, I cried to my God. And from His temple He heard my voice and my cry for help came into His ears. So what do we do in times of trouble? What do we do when, when distress is deep and real? We call out to our God for help. And it's amazing how abrupt 
the, the scene changes in verse 8. We hear all this distress. First it starts with praise to God for His deliverance. And then he calls out to God. And then he talks about how terrible it was. And almost immediately after he calls out to God, the, 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 the kind of the wording of the text changes to this triumphant arrival of this powerful being who comes from the heavens. David's trying to paint a picture for us in our minds of the explosive power of God. A spectacular nature of the Lord's deliverance. Verse 8, the earth and the heavens shook. Why? Because he was angry. Angry about what? Well, angry about David's enemies having an upper hand on him. And so God comes down with great power. And in verse 10, He comes with thick darkness. Verse 11, He appears on an angel, a cherub. In verse 12, darkness and waters and thick clouds. Verse 13, coals of fire were kindled. Verse 14, thunder. He thundered and He uttered His voice. Verse 15, He sent arrows probably referring to lightning here. Verse 16, he, he breaks through the channels of the sea. So here we have God pictured as this powerful creature. And, and, and I say creature because He's using a metaphor for what God is like, how powerful He is. And it appears that verse eight, verses 8 and 9, He's pictured as, as a wrath-filled dragon. Notice verse 9, smoke went up out of his nostrils, fire from his mouth devoured. So we have this picture of this powerful dragon who is upset. Someone's destroying something that he desires, he pleasures, he, he takes joy in. He comes in riding on a raging thunderstorm, cloaked in darkness with a source of this great powerful storm. He is the powerful Creator. Notice at the end of verse 16, by the rebuke of the Lord at the blast of the breath of His nostrils, He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. So, it's almost as if God is waiting for David to call upon Him. David's wallowing in distress, running away from his enemies, wondering how he's going to avoid imminent death. And he calls out to God, and immediately God comes in a thunder, comes to the aid of the one he loves. And what happens? Verses 17 through 20, the merciful deliverance of our powerful Lord. God is pictured in verses 8 through 16 as a wrath filled dragon, as a creator, the generator of storms, the knight riding in on the back of the storm. But here, in verse 17, he's pictured as a lifeguard. And this goes back to what David saw himself. He has the cords of death wrapped around him while he's drowning. The waves are crashing in over him. And here comes the lifeguard, God. Verse 17, He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. And God pulls David from a violent and threatening situation and He puts him in a position of stability. Verse 18, He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me. Verse 19, they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me forth into a broad place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. So David has found something that, that we likely, if we've been a Christian for any amount of time, that we've found as well. And when we're in trouble and we call out to God, God is there to help us, isn't He? That He's faithful to come and powerful to deliver he loves to deliver His children. And 
from trouble when they call out to him for help. And that's what God's done here for David. And so that leads back to how David started. Praise for the Lord, his refuge. Central praise for the Lord, our refuge, verse 21 through 31. Before we get to that section on the praise, he affirms there's an affirmation of personal integrity here. And David says something that that might rub us a little bit the wrong way if we don't understand it in its context and in the larger context of Scripture. Notice what he says, verse 21. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. Verse 25. Therefore the Lord has recompensed, He's paid me back according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness before His eyes. Now this sounds pretty arrogant of David, doesn't it, at first glance? We need to keep a few things in mind. First, remember that this psalm of praise is placed in the context of First and Second Samuel. And what else happens in First and Second Samuel? Is the story of, particularly Second Samuel, is the story of David's perfect faithfulness to God? No. Most of the Second Samuel is about David's sin and the consequences of it. Chapter 11 all the way to chapter 19. Is about David turning his back on God for a time, committing adultery, killing the, the husband of the one with whom he committed adultery, and then seeing all the effects that it has on his family, on the, his nation, on himself, and his leading ability. That's what Second Samuel is all about. And here the author puts in this text, he's saying this psalm, needs to be kept in context with what has gone on around it. David's not claiming to be perfect here. See, God, look at my righteousness. Now pay me back for all the things that I've done. Second thing we need to to, um, keep in mind as we look at this idea of God repaying for righteousness is what the idea of my righteousness really is. My righteousness has to include, for David and for us, Obedience to God and coming to God with humility and confessing sin and receiving forgiveness. See, David's not boasting here or talking about what he deserves. He's simply describing the way that God treats those who are righteous. It's consistent with what Jesus promises in Revelation 22, verse 12. He says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Dale Davis tells a story of a student in seminary who asked for a favor from his professor because he missed an exam. The professor asked, well, why did you miss the exam? And the student said, well, I wasn't at class on the day of the exam. And the professor said, well, why weren't you at class on the day of the exam? And the student said, well, I didn't think the class was that useful. So here you have a student who's asking for a favor from his professor in the same breath that he's telling the professor that he finds no use in him. And this is not David. David's not saying, God, repay me for what I've done. But, you know, in the rest of my life, I really haven't had any use for you. But now I do. I'm at the end of my life. I want you to to pay me back for the good that I've done. No, David throughout his life is a man who is seeking God. And while he's failed, and he's failed miserably, he gets back up. He depends on God. He acknowledges his sin. He's not like the seminary student who's asking for a favor without having any use for the professor. David is a man who loves God and knows that God rewards those who are people of integrity 
we'll talk about that at the end, how that can apply to us. David kept the ways of the Lord in verses 21 through 23. In verse 24, David stayed away from evil. David was the kind of person that God intended for him to be. This is not pride. This is simply recognizing that God opposes certain kinds of people and he, and he gives grace to other kinds of people. What kinds of people does God oppose? God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Right? David's recognizing that basic truth. Pride is to ignore God's way and to do it my own way. This is what God hates. But humility is abandoning my own way for the sake of God's ways. It's saying, God, in thought and word and deed, I am not meeting up to your expectations, so I need you. I'm going to rely on you. And what God's saying is those people who follow me in that way, who are humble, those are the people who will be the objects of my grace. I give grace to those who are humble. So David, David here affirms his personal integrity. But, again, back to praise, he recognizes that the Lord is the one who deserves the glory for the victory. It says in verse, uh, verses 26 and following that whatever we think of God, that is how we treat him. And however we treat God is how he's going to retreat up, uh, how he's going to treat us. Okay, so verse 26. With the kind, you show yourself kind. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. With the perverted, you show yourself astute. So if we think of God as faithful and blameless and pure, then we will be kind and faithful, faithful and, and blameless and pure. Not perfectly, but, but to the extent that God allows. And God will show himself in turn to be kind and faithful and blameless and pure to us. But if a person thinks of God as wicked and perverse, then God will be, in a sense, perverse with them in the sense that he will turn their wickedness back on them. This is just a basic truth of the Scripture. That how we think of God, you know, Jesus said it this way, if you are ashamed of me on this earth, then I will be ashamed of you in heaven. Right? So, so there's, obviously, we, there's lots of theology behind that statement. We just take that, well, it sounds like a works-based salvation. That's not what he's saying. Okay? But recognizing all of that theology behind that statement we see that how we treat God is very much how God is going to treat us, right? Um, like Jesus says, you know, um, did you not give me drink and give me clothes and give me, give me something to eat and in the next life? And we'll say, well, wait a second, when did we ever do that? And he said, to the extent that you did it to some of these people, so you've done it to me. And then he goes on to say that when you didn't do that, right? Those who didn't give a drink, those who didn't give food, those who didn't give clothing, you did the same thing to me. And don't, ex don't expect to come into the next life and say, well, God, hey, you've got to just overlook all those things. How we think of God is how he's going to treat us. He's going to respond to us in kind. You see, God loves to work on behalf of those who trust him. Look at verse 28. And you save an afflicted people, but your eyes are on the haughty whom you abase. In verse 29, he brings security to dark trials. He brings security like a light brings security. In verse 30, he brings strength to seemingly insurmountable obstacles. And then verse 31, David praises God 
because he is a shield to all who take refuge in him. David has found God to be a deliverer and a protector of those who trust in him and worthy of his faith, worthy of his confidence. So, we begin with opening praise to the Lord our refuge because, verses 5-19, through he has worked for us. Then we have central praise to the Lord our refuge. And then here in this fourth section, the Lord has worked through us. We praise God because the Lord has worked through us. He's not only worked for us, we call to Him for help and He comes in a powerful way, but also because the Lord has worked through us. And that's what verses 32 through 46 are about. God grants David strength. God grants us strength. He makes, he, he makes us strong and blameless. Verse 32 For who is God besides the Lord, and who is a rock besides our God? God is my strong fortress, and He sets the blameless in His way. So, again, in the context, what we were looking at before is David saying, I'm blameless, God, so repay me. He's not doing anything proud. He's simply saying, we keep that in, in view with verse 33. He's actually saying that God's the one who makes me blameless, isn't He? So he's actually giving glory to God rightfully, that his position before God is not because of he's piled up all these works and he deserves God's goodness, but rather that God has worked through him. In verses 5-20, through 20, the focus was on God winning the battle, and here the focus is on David winning the battle through the strength of the Lord. So there's not when, when David calls out in verses 5-20, through 20, God's the, the main actor, right? David's kind of passive. He's the one that's uh, choking and drowning. But here in verses... 32 through 46, David's showing that there is some human agency involved where God actually brings deliverance through the acts of those who trust Him. Look at the connection here in verse 33 between our integrity and God's power. God is my strong fortress. He sets the blameless in His way. So our blamelessness is not isolated or self-generated. It's sourced in God. God's the one who makes me strong. He's the one who makes me blameless. Verse 34 God makes me swift in battle. David would need this as he's being um, chased by Saul and other enemies throughout his life. What, a, what a, a horrifying prospect it would be for David to just constantly be on the run. But God made him swift in battle. Verse 35, God prepares David for difficult challenges with this bow of bronze. Now bows are not usually made with bronze, at least in that day. But, but if they were, they would, they would um, actually be much stronger than the kinds of bows that were used in that day. And so he's saying that God gives me strength through difficult, difficult challenges. Verses 36 and 37, God is mighty to save David and, and he is worthy of praise. Notice how he shifts to speak about how God worked through him to praising God because of his goodness. Verse 36, you have also given me the shield of your salvation, and your help makes me great. So here he's saying, God, you used me. You worked through me. But notice how he shifts here. Verse 37, you enlarge my steps under me, and my feet have not slipped. The, the result is uh, the, the ultimate actor in my deliverance is not me. I'm simply an agent of my own deliverance in this case. And that is because God is working. God is working through, uh, God is working through David, through us. And in the end, God gets the glory. God gets the glory. To God be the glory what great things He has done as we 
sang earlier, verses 38 through 46, if we took these verses in isolation, particularly the first two, verses 38 and 39, we might think that David's proud. But again, the context is that David knows that God's behind it all. Look at verse 38. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them, and I did not turn back until they were consumed. And I have devoured them and shattered them so that they did not rise, and they fell under my feet. No talk of God here, so we might take these in isolation and say, well, how proud of you, David. There you go again. But again, in the context, David is recognizing this is all God. I mean, if we just read the whole chapter, we have to admit that David is giving all the glory to God, simply showing how God did it. In verses um, 40 and 41, David shows that he was the one being hunted, but God caused him to be the hunter. It's like a bear who is, you know, uh, there's a bear hunt going on, somebody with a gun, and... um, and, and, and the person with the gun ends up being the one who is hunted. David's saying, I'm like the bear. I'm being hunted by my enemies. And somehow God switched the script so that I could be the one that was hunt, hunting them. Verse 40, For you have girded me with strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also made my enemies turn their backs to me, and I destroyed those who hated me. And the nature of David's enemies and our enemies is that there, they have no one to turn to in order to be delivered. Have you ever considered that? Verse 42, David's enemies looked, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. See, no God is powerful to overcome David's God, and so they were on their own. And the result is that David destroys his enemies in verse 43, but notice again, verse 44, who gets the credit? You have also delivered me from the contentions of my people. You have kept me as the head of the nations, a people whom I have not known serve me. God, you get the glory. You get the credit. You're the one who brought about this victory. And God turns the table on David's enemies in verse 45. Foreigners pretend obedience to me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners lose heart and come trembling out of their fortresses. What a, what a shift from the beginning of the chapter. David is stuck with these cords of death. He's effectively stuck in this miry clay. He's drowning on the brink of death. But by the end of the chapter, God has worked. And his enemies are now feigning obedience to him. Oh, King David! And what David acknowledges, what we must acknowledge when God flips things on their head like he often does with us is that God was behind it all. Verse 46, foreigners even tremble at me when they hear the name David. They don't want to mess with him. Not because of David and his great strength, but because of David's God. And so we would expect that David concludes the way that he starts and the way that he he, uh, throws in the middle there Praise for God. We've seen hints of it all throughout. David is giving the credit to God. He deserves all the glory. But here he makes it very clear in verses 47 through 51. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock. Exalted be God, the rock of my salvation, the God who executes vengeance for me and brings down peoples under me, who also brings me out from my enemies. You even lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescue rescue me from the violent man. 
Again, we might look at a few verses in here and think this psalm is about David and his pride and his accomplishments. But David at the beginning, middle, and here at the end praises God for his deliverance and his, for his protection. And in verse 50, David calls us and the people of Israel, his hearers, to recognize God's greatness with him. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, notice, among the nations, and I will sing praises to your name. This is not going to be something that I go in my little prayer closet and praise God for what great deliverance. I mean, certainly he'll do that. But, but I want the world to know. I want all of Israel to know what a great God I have. He has delivered me. So let the nations hear and be glad that all who trust in Him, all who seek God's ways will be rescued by God. David wants us to hear that and be, be uh, thankful and to praise Him. Verse 51, He is a tower of deliverance to His King and shows loving kindness to His anointed, to David and his descendants forever. David knows that he will be the recipient of, recipient of God's grace but notice, and his descendants forever. The deliverance of David's God was not going to stop with David when he died, but it would continue on to David's descendants, not every single one, but to all who trusted in Jesus Christ, who trusted in that future promised Messiah. And now we already know who he is, so we look back on that Messiah, Jesus. But the ones who were before him, looked forward to that future promised Messiah and trusted in God and, and saw God deliver and, and were able to praise Him for His deliverance and protection. Four, four applications here. Um, first, there's no better place to be than under the care of God. There's no better place to be than under the care of God. Do you realize that once God is on your side, that there's nothing that can stand against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Not life, not death, not angels, principalities, things present, things to come. Nothing in all the earth can stand between us and God's love for us. Once God's on our side, there's nothing that can, can overpower us without the consent, the permission of our God. There's no better place than to be under His care. Second principle is that God delights in His children. God delights in His children. Consider again the words of verse, verses 21 and 25. The Lord has rewarded, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness. I mentioned earlier that this was not self-centered, but, but let's consider it from God's perspective. How can God delight in us, imperfect followers? How can God delight in an imperfect follower like David? I mean, why would God ever delight in me? Why would God ever want to, to return righteousness to me? Let me just remind you of two passages first. Psalm 1. In whom does God delight in Psalm 1? Right? His delight, it, uh, God delights in those who delight in Him. Just turn there briefly. How blessed is the man. How blessed by God is the man who, 
does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And what happens? God makes him like a tree. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will, will perish. God blesses. God delights in those who delight in him. The second passage is Second Samuel 9 and 10. Do you remember the stories? The story first of Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth was liable for the king's wrath because he was part of the family of Saul. But when David found out that there was still a descendant of Saul, because of his covenant that he made with Jonathan, he said, Mephibosheth, you're going to be just like one of my sons. Come back. Take the land back that your dad had owned here in Jerusalem. You're, gonna, you're going to have your servants farm on that land. You're going to eat from that, that land. And every evening, whenever I'm here at the palace, you can come and sit at my table. You can be just like one of my own sons. You see, David poured out mercy. And what was Mephibosheth's response to that? He said, no, I don't want any of your help. I can handle myself. No, he was glad to accept the mercy of David. David or, uh, Mephibosheth responded to the mercy of his king by accepting, embracing that mercy. But the very next chapter is Second Samuel chapter 10 with the story of Hanan. David sent some messengers to Hanan and wanted to, to uh, let Hanan know that he was grieving with him over the death of his father. David's showing an act of mercy, and what did Hanan do? Hanan shaved off their beards, half their beards, cut off their garments at the waist, sent them back embarrassed. What was David's response? David shows mercy. Hanan says, I don't want your mercy. I'm not going to accept it. And so what happens? David comes back, and, and pours out his wrath on Hanan so that those who reject the mercy of the king fall under their wrath. Right? That we have these two stories that stand almost back to back as contrasts. See how we ought to respond to mercy. Right? If we accept the mercy of God, God delights in us. God pours out more blessing on us. But if we reject it, if we stand opposed to it, if we stand proud and say, God, I don't want your mercy. I don't need your mercy. I will live my own way. Then no longer do we get God's mercy. We stand under His wrath instead. See, God delights in those who delight in Him. He pours out mercy to many. And those who accept it humbly will receive more. But those who reject it will be the objects of His wrath. Number three, the first application really, is to take pleasure in trusting God. Take pleasure in trusting God. This is David. This world is no friend of grace. It's no friend to those who are following after Jesus Christ. But this world should not paralyze us in fear. Because when the enemies are surrounding us, when we are caught in a bind, when we are overwhelmed, when we're up to our, our, our neck in trouble, we're drowning. There's no one more powerful than our God who can come and deliver. And He's only a call away. All we have to do is call to Him for help. God, You are my God. You are my refuge. I have no one to turn to. Would You come to my aid? And almost immediately and with great power, God comes like like a dragon on a thunderstorm, like a knight riding in in the darkness. 
See, for the enemies of God, they had no one to turn to. Verse 42, right? When they called out to God, even God wouldn't help them. Why? Because God was not their God. They, they were like the seminary student who just wanted some help. So they got a little bit of trouble. They didn't find a use in him any other time, but not so with the righteous. God delivers those who are faithful to him. And so take pleasure in trusting God. It's a good thing to trust in the Lord. And finally, main application from the text comes right out of the theme of the text, and that is that we should praise God for his deliverance and protection. Is there anything that God has delivered you from? Is there any trouble that you've ever had before you were a Christian? Is there any trouble that you had? What was the greatest trouble that you've ever faced? I'm not talking about physical troubles. I'm not talking about familial troubles. I'm not talking about job troubles or finance troubles. I'm talking about the trouble that we had standing under the wrath of God. And there was potential for us to be under the wrath of God for all of eternity. And what has God done for us when we called out to help? He came in an instant. And he delivered us from all of our troubles, our greatest trouble. So we sing with the author of the hymn, O to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. God, you've done so much to me. You've poured out so much grace to me. I'm indebted to you because of your unmatched grace. And so there is a sense, a real sense, in which we owe God praise. We owe God thanksgiving. I mean, has it happened? From you being called out of darkness into light, has God lifted you out of the miry clay and set your feet on a solid rock? Has He done that for you? Has God responded to you? How about as a Christian? Has He responded to you in a time of terrifying uncertainty? Or in a time of long-term persecution, has God been close to your side throughout it so that you would never walk alone? Have you found God to be faithful to you in times of trouble? What should your response be? What should my response be? It should be the same response that David had, which is praise to God. God, you are my rock, my stronghold, my refuge. I called to you in times of trouble and you were there. God is the source of our strength, our deliverer, our savior when our enemies attack. And we can put our confidence in him and we ought to praise him. Let's pray. Father, how easy it is for us to forget what great um, saving power You have performed on us. Lord, what a miracle of Your uh, power has been performed in bringing us to You. You took us who were bent towards sin. We loved our sin. We, we found that we could not disobey our master sin. Certainly we were not as sinful as we could have been, but, but we could not do any acts of righteousness because all of our righteousness was like filthy rags to you. And yet, Lord, when, when you showed us the light, you came in and, and delivered us from a dark situation. You pointed us out of this bondage. And in an instant, when we called to you, you came in a powerful way and delivered us through the death of Jesus Christ. You substituted 
our evil works for the good works of Christ. You took the sins that should have been on our shoulders, should have resulted in our condemnation. You placed them on Jesus. He bore the wrath that we deserved. So Lord, now we're standing on a solid ground. We have nothing to fear. So we praise you for your deliverance and salvation. But Lord, there have been countless times in which you've delivered us in other ways. When we didn't know what was going to happen with uh, our job or with the next meal or with our house or with a conflict that we had with family or or in the church and, and we didn't know what was going to happen. And you came to our rescue. You were with us all the way. Maybe things always didn't get resolved like we wanted them to, but, but we found you to be faithful nonetheless. And Lord, even when we brought about uh, these self-inflicted kind of wounds where we sinned in grievous ways and experienced the consequences of that, Lord, you did not abandon us. We found you to be a faithful deliverer, savior, stronghold, rock, refuge. And so to you, Lord, we lift up our praise and for all of eternity we will do the same. We will sing of your mercies forever and ever. We start today and we continue on through the rest of our life to remember your good works and to praise you for them. Lord, remind us of your great work on our behalf. Help us not to be proud, to act as if our deliverance comes through us alone. It comes through your great power. You deserve all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.